getting into the composing of movies then. Uh, I remember watching the history of Walt Disney documentary when Walt was on the edge of bankruptcy, but still kept yeah. working towards producing animations better than his competitors. His success came when he became the first in the world and the first in his era to add music to the Mickey Mouse cartoon, Steamy Boat Willie. And because of Walt Disney's technology innovation back then, it made Disney to what Disney is today. So from your lens, teach us about the history of sound and music in films. Well, I think, um, you know, we bandy about the term silent film, silent movies, but there really never was a silent movie. There was always an accompanist, mm. even very early on. I, I don't know if you know the origin of film, but it was to it was actually to, to answer a bet between two people. I think they were both magicians about whether at any point in time of a horse's gallop, all four hooves were off the ground. And they, they realized that the only way they could they could test this was to take a succession of photographs and, and then be able to look at it. And I think the answer was, yes, there is a point in time when all four hooves are off the ground, the horse is flying. And inadvertently, they created film, they created movie, they created the moving image. So I love the fact, firstly, that that comes from, you know, just a bet, right? Yeah. yeah. And has created this entire world of creativity that we are deeply immersed in now more than ever in the history of the world. But even in those early days, there was a, a pianist or something. Da, 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 da. Yeah, the silence was just based on like the actor was not speaking. Exactly. But, but the but music the... was telling the story and the way they were yes. gesturing. Which, yeah. which is what music still does. You know, it tells the emotional story. You know, the actors now that they talk, it tells you what they're thinking. The music tells you what they're feeling. And the audience needs to know who is the baddie and who is the protagonist, who's the hero. And it's the music that tells you that. You know, we, we know that Darth Vader is coming around the corner because we hear his theme in advance. Dun, 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 dun. So... Well, you call that sound before picture, right? Like I would say that you always, you always know that a couple is going to, you know, kiss them or make up depending on the music because it already starts telling the yes. story. Yeah, the human brain accepts sound before picture. Even, you know, you can introduce the ambient sounds or even dialogue from the scene that's to come and the brain can make sense of it, but not so the other way around. You can't have picture before sound, like picture with nobody talking and then sound kind of catches up with it. But... um at some point in the history of film, they moved into, okay, well, we need music. So let's put it in the visual image, which is what we call diegetic music. So you have a pretext for music to be there. So you'll have, you know, a jazz band or somebody singing in the actual movie and they film it as part of it. And then at some point, you know, a combination of Walt Disney's uh, decision to include music because, because it needed to be there. And I think it was one of the Metro Goldwyn mayors, I think it was Goldwyn, who basically said, put music in. And people argued and said, yes, but there's no justification to have music in because there are no players on the screen. And apparently he said something like, I don't care, do it anyway. <laughs> and instead, what happened is that then music became non-diegetic. It was not uh, part of what was part of the scene. It was instead part of our emotional journey. And it began to serve the purpose that it still serves today, which is subconsciously informing and guiding us on the emotional journey of what we're watching. And that was a bold move 
that paid off in a huge way. And that's where we are now. And, and But still then, if, if it's been magical, it's been there since start by then, how come it's still then not valued and neglected? You know, as you know, I have a background in neuroscience. So I think this is a, a, it's the way our brains are wired. Hmm. Visual things tend to impinge more on our conscious brain, our frontal lobe, right? Music and sound, like smell, are senses that are wired to quite ancient parts of our brain. Um, our emotional brain, our reflexive brain, all of those areas are subconscious. And it's wired that way because sound has always been not just ours, but throughout the animal kingdom, our primary 360 survival sense. Yes. So you could, for example, a herd of wildebeest coming in your direction. By the time you see them, it's too late, but you can hear them and you can feel them. And haptics, you know, the vibration is the origin of hearing. The vibration is now translated inside our eardrum, but it's still a vibration, right? So whether you're looking at it or not, the potential danger or the potential food that you're hunting, you can detect it without even turning your head. And so it's vitally important um, as, a, as a brain function. It's what has arguably allowed us to stay alive. It's not maybe what makes us human. It's not capacity for abstraction and stuff, but it's reflexive and it's emotional and it's fast, super fast. And but it's unconscious. And so because it's unconscious, I actually tell other sound people and music people, it's just it's something that we have to make our peace with. We're never going to make it conscious. You know, we're not going to actually physically rewire the brain. But what we can do and should do is articulate this idea well or a musical and sound idea well enough to our clients. Be advocates, be proponents of it so they get it. Show them how much music changes the perception of what we're experiencing, what we're looking at. Be it a movie like, uh, you know, that scary Mary where they took Mary Poppins, a scene for Mary Poppins, and instead put uh, um, some horror music underneath. And instantly Mary Poppins seems like the most cruel and evil uh, witch. And then the contrast of that, my other favorite was uh, uh, a, a section from The Shining, the Kubrick mm, film, that, yeah. Wilson, which they just called Shining. And they have this lovely family music underneath. And it seems like a happy family going on a vacation. And all of that is contained in the music. Um, you know, so by articulating that kind of importance and, and being a representative for the power of music and explaining okay, we understand it's subconscious. So you're not, it's not front of mind. So you're not budgeting for it and you're not giving enough time for it and you're not giving its place on the pedestal that it should be alongside visuals. But as directors um, grow themselves and evolve as directors, m most of them start to understand very quickly the importance of music. You know, I've, I've done films with first time directors where, you know, the, I think it was Francis Ford Coppola once said that the director is the last 
true role of tyranny in the world. You know, you're able to be a total tyrant, total control over what, everything that happens in the making of your film and the editing of your film. And then they hand it to the composer and they realize, oh shit, I don't have control over this. The music that's going to underscore this can take the perception of my film and the characters in it from here to here or any anywhere in between. And you can see them sweating. It's like, yeah. I hope I pick the right composer and oh my God. And, <laughs> so you know, so then sort of... imagine then that I'm a film producer. I'm coming to you looking for my, you know, for music for my latest uh, science movie. So yeah. how, when normally in the process, do you get involved? It varies. In an ideal world, we get involved very early on. Yeah, which means, but it's rare in film and TV. Um, uh, because you want to, it's not that you want to have a say, it's that music and sound can solve problems, directorial problems. Like, how do we bridge this, you know, transition in a really seamless way that works? Um, how do we reinforce the emotion that the director wants to drive in this particular section? So if we're able to come in, even at the, at the point of the script before even pre-production, um, that is sometimes wonderful. I mean, one film I worked on, uh, once I read the script, I started writing melodies and came up with some ideas and I kept them. It took 10 years before the film was actually made in order to raise the money and you know the good actors to do it and this was manhattan night with adrian brody and yvonne strahovski but in that time i'd had i'd had the luxury of working with these melodic ideas and so by the time they were about to start editing the film i'd already written and delivered a whole bunch of what i thought were scratch tracks you know drafts straight over to the director and the editor and they were already using them in the film in the rough cuts of the film, as opposed to the, and so it was perfect, it was great. I mean, we were 50% along with music while the edit was happening, I was tracking them, you know, and, it, and that accelerated the process. It meant it was just so, you know, we got away from having to use temp tracks, which is the other end of the spectrum where a director has almost no contact with a composer uh, throughout the entire filmmaking process. And then they score it with temporary tracks that they you know take from different movies and stuff like that that they become really attached to something that we call temp love and then it comes over to the composer late in the day because they always finish the edit later and later because they keep making another revision but the deadline stays the same so you know they're buying into your time they're buying into your budget and and they're, you know, insanely attached often to the music that is there. And they just say, I want something like that. Mm. And I have these kind of peculiar conversations at that point, usually, that go something like this. So I asked the director, so your script, uh, is that an original script? I mean, did you write it or, or did you copy it? And they go, no, 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 it's original. I wrote it from scratch. Absolutely. So I say, okay, so why would you want me to copy someone else's music rather than have an original custom score written for your original script. And usually then I can get them thinking about it and go, ah, oh, okay, I see your point. Okay, so give me a little bit of room. Give me a little bit of flexibility to do what I want to do. Mm. And um, so there's a lot of push and pull. But where you can get involved early in the process, it's better because so much of it is about 
again, the empathy and the psychology, not just with the characters in the film, but with the director and the editor, of understanding what they want, what they want to say, how they're saying it, what are the emotions they're feeling. And you ask them a lot of questions that are based around like adjectives, describe, is it melancholy? Is it this? Is it that? Tell me as many adjectives as you can for the scene. Tell me whose perspective are we experiencing this from? That informs the musical approach a lot. Those kinds of questions. And um, so it's a very intensely collaborative process, usually. What would it be uh -huh. another process that, that you would be interested to trying? I mean, I've heard, I haven't actually seen uh, seen the 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 back scenes of it, but I've heard that Joker was made, uh, the music was made either during the filming or was it before? And then the actors were able to listen it to 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 feel those emotions. Uh, is, is that yes. true or can it be done or what? How other ways can it then be done? No, absolutely. I mean, I, Hilda, yeah. uh, who scored that movie, is a cellist herself. And at least uh, that particular scene, which was uh, him facing the mirror and himself in the bathroom, um, that was kind of like a, a musical montage scene. Um, she had written that piece. And I think seeing the scene evolve, that she would customize it a bit more and then they would play it. And on the scene, he he'd made him go into this kind of slightly bizarre dance, gestural dance that came really as a direct result of hearing the music. So it absolutely can work that way. And um, and there are situations where, you know, if you if you have that luxury of and time to write the music up front, then often they will play it on a scene, particularly when there's no dialogue. And the actors can feel their way into that accordingly and maybe act better. Now, Avatar was a film that took four, four years to make and James Horner had four years to write the music. And that is a, a marvelous thing, if you think about it, the, the, the level of care and attention that you can bring to something when you have four years to work on it. And in the constant backwards and forwards, you know, between director and, and animators and graphics and composer and everything kind of comes together. Well, the music is like the script. It tells the story. So instead of saying here, you should cry, play yes. the music to get him into that, you know, state yes. of mind and state of emotion. Yes.